Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. I'm very excited this morning because God has been speaking to me about a shift in the economy. A shift in the economy. Let's pray. Father, I just speak your blessing over this house this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that your word would come with power, that it would come with anointing, that it would come with authority. And I recognize that if you answer those prayers, it's your word and not mine. And so I just declare that it has nothing to do with me. And anything wrong, well, that has to do with me. But anything right is yours. So I give you the glory right now. And I thank you, Father, that you are speaking in this house this morning. And that you are setting our hearts and minds right. Lord, so often the economy shifts, but the only thing that doesn't shift is our thinking. In our minds, we're still in the old economy, but you're moving us into the new economy. So, Father, this morning we shift our minds into what you're doing. And we give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And if everyone said amen. amen. I'm reading out of 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning at verse 24. And while you're turning there, I'll just tell you that we had a wonderful weekend with the youth. There are about 45 kids up at Lake Francis. And uh, we, we've churched them to death. We had a service Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday night, Saturday morning. And then my wife and I left Saturday afternoon. And they had another one last night and another one this morning. So... We're going we're gonna to immerse these kids. You know, most of these kids, they don't know what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. They've got no experiential grid for understanding what it means to be in the presence of the Lord. You know how a lot of times on Sunday mornings, my wife and I will call people out and prophesy over them individually, and, 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 uh, and it just kind of takes these individuals to a deeper place. Where well, we were doing that with the kids, and uh, it was interesting to see that they didn't know what it meant to be in the presence of the Lord, but all of a sudden they're crying and they're standing there and they're receiving the word of the Lord and then their leaders are coming around them. It was just marvelous. It was marvelous having wonderful times in worship and the youth were really learning how to engage the presence of the Lord. And so God is doing a marvelous thing amongst our young people. And then uh, last night I preached at the Ark in Berkeley. You remember the Ark? Used to meet here on Saturday nights. Now it's a church that was planted in Berkeley five and a half years ago. And... Um, um, I've been preaching there for the last three Saturday nights, and it turns out I'm going to be preaching every Saturday night there for some time uh, because my wife and I have been asked to be the apostolic overseers of the house. And so we're coming in, and we're going to set the house in order, and we're going to see that house grow and expand. So from now on, on Saturday nights, I'll be preaching at the Ark in Berkeley. On Sunday mornings, I'll be right here at Living Hope Christian Center in Emeryville. Nothing changes here. Uh, but I just want you all to know that so you can be praying. And you're going to be hearing a lot more about our strategic covenantal partnership that we're entering into with the Ark in Berkeley so that you know that we have a, a sister church in Berkeley that we are intimately connected with. And we're going to be sharing ministries. For instance, they have a college ministry already. We don't need one now. Just send our college students over there to their college ministry. We have a midweek service. They don't. They're sending their people here and and even a lot of their people already come to our Sunday morning services. So uh, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, so if you've got to go out of town on a Sunday, show up there on a Saturday night, you're going to get the same word that you get here. You can stay connected to, to what God is doing. Amen? But you're going to be hearing a lot more of that in the coming days uh, as, as, as that partnership becomes clear and grows deeper and deeper. We've been enlarged. I just want you to know that. that our family has been enlarged. And, you know, we already know that we have family in Korea with Christian and Aaron Lee at, at New Philadelphia Church uh, in, in Korea. They send interns to us. We send interns to them. I talk to them every Thursday night and just pour into Aaron and Christian's life, and we see God growing and developing their ministry. And now this third church has been added to us here in, in Berkeley. And so God is just growing the family and growing the lineage, and I'm just so excited to see what God is doing. We're really learning what it means to be sons and daughters in the house of the Lord and to be intimately connected to a lineage, to a tribe. Amen? All right, Second Kings chapter 6, beginning at verse 24. A lot of stuff happening with Aram. The interplay, the interaction between Aram and Israel here in the first seven chapters of Second Kings. You see, a couple of chapters ago and a couple of weeks ago, I talked about that dude Naaman, who was a leper, but he was the commander of the army of Aram. And Elisha, through the power of God, heals this guy Naaman of his leprosy. And now, two chapters later, 
the army of Aram comes and attacks Israel. <laughs> Man, some people just don't know how to appreciate what God does. <laughs> I see people get healed. You know, it's funny. Some of the most powerful and dramatic miracles we've seen in this house have happened to people who never showed up to church again. That's interesting to me. We had a woman who had a tumor in her lip and was scheduled for surgery the next day. Came to church once on Sunday. My wife laid hands on her. God took that tumor away. I mean, completely healed her. At that moment, she went into the surgery the next day. They said, there's nothing to operate on. Whatever was there is gone. I think we misdiagnosed you. That's what they always say when they can't explain it. She said, thanks, God. See you later. Wham, bam, thank you, man. <laughs> How funny we forget. Verse 24, sometime later, Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver and a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels. It's talking about the effect of the attack of the enemy against this city. Samaria, the, cap the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. The, the Arameans came and laid siege to the city, and we've talked about that in previous messages, that when you came and laid siege to a city, you surrounded it so that nothing came in and nothing came out. You restricted the movements of the, of the residents of that city. And the Arame Arameans came, and they built siege walls around Jerusalem. They surrounded it so that nothing came in and nothing came out. You know what that meant? Farmers weren't bringing in food into the city. They stopped the water from flowing into the city. Did I lose power? Did... Okay. They stopped all of the flow of the nutrients in and out of the city. The city was left to wither and die. It was cut off from its life. And what happened was the people began to starve. I need to hear myself a little bit. I'm going to scream. The people began to starve. And when you're starving, you'll eat just about anything. I mean, when you don't have anything to eat and you begin to feel hopeless about your chances of survival, you'll start eating anything. And it says the famine was so bad in the city that a donkey's head was selling for 80 shekels of silver. You see that? 80 shekels of silver is about 2 pounds of silver. How much does silver go for per ounce right now? No, 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 no. Silver's not that expensive. What is it? $5 an ounce? Silver's $30 an ounce? So let's say silver is $30 an ounce, 16 ounces per pound, 32 ounces. What's 32 times 30? Come on, I need a mathematician. So you're talking about almost $1,000 for a donkey's head. Not to mention the fact that the donkey was an unclean animal. God commanded Israel not to eat it. So the famine is so bad that people are paying $1,000 to eat something unclean. When there's a spiritual famine in the land, people start paying high prices to eat things that are unclean. You know it's going to cost you a lot, but you're still willing to eat it because you're starving. Because you need to eat something. That's what's happening in the world. I, you know, I hear stories about people who are addicted to gambling. And they know it's going to cost them their jobs and their savings and their children's future and their marriage and their family. They know my wife and kids are going to leave me, but I'm still going to eat this thing. Even though it's costing me a high price, I'm still going to eat it. Why? Because I'm starving. I'm starving. I'm absolutely starving. Men cheat on their wives. They sleep with other women knowing it's going to cost them their marriage, knowing their wife is going to pick up the kids when she finds out and walk away. They know. The price. They know how expensive it is. But they still do. Why do I still do it? Because I'm starving. Because I'm in the midst of a spiritual famine. People use drugs knowing it's going to destroy their lives. Get addicted to cocaine knowing it, that, that their future is going to go up their nose. 
It's going to cost them every relationship, but they still do it. Why? Because I'm starving. And if you look at the things that we're eating in our culture, we're eating illicit sexuality like it's going out of style and paying a high price for it, but we don't care because we're starving. We're eating drugs and highs and all kinds of stuff, and we don't care because we're starving. We're eating all kind of lies that we're being fed by the media, but we don't care. Why? Because we're starving, and we're willing to pay a high price for a donkey's head. You know, the Scripture says the wages of sin is death. You know, you've got to work hard for sin. Sin is a lot of work. No, I mean, it's hard work. It's hard. You know, it says the wages of sin is death, meaning you stand before God at the end of it at all, and he says, "Woo, you've been working hard. Man, I've got to pay you. I owe you your wages, and the wages aren't going to be crying out after me. You know, it talks about the days in Israel when the wages were crying out against the, 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 the owners because they weren't paying their wages to the employees. God says, no, 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 I'm not in debt to anybody. I pay my debts. You've worked for this, I'm going to pay you. Here you go, you've earned this death. You've earned it. It costs you, it actually costs you. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I went down to Microsoft, if I needed a job and I applied, I put in my application, I said, I need a job. They said, great, we'll hire you, but uh, it's going to cost you about $1,000 a week to work here. I said, what? You, what? How much will you pay me? I'm not paying you nothing. I'm giving you the opportunity to work at Microsoft, but it's going to cost you about $1,000 a week to work here. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't take the job. But, you know, we sign up <laughs> at a company called Sin, and it doesn't pay us nothing. It charges us every week, but we still work there. We're eating donkey's heads and paying a high price for it. Why? Because of the economy. Because of the economy. In the, in the economy of famine, unclean things sell for a high price. It got worse than donkey's heads and, and calves of seed. People are eating seed. They don't have any place to plant it and grow it. They're just eating the seed. Now, I don't know about you, but I never ate seed before. You ever said, I wish I had some carrots. I ain't got no carrots, but I got carrot seed. Wish I had some cucumbers. I got a cucumber seed. Anybody got some lemons? Got some lemon seeds over here. How about some orange seeds? Mmm, mmm, crunch. Mmm, that's, mmm, mmm. And people are paying high price for seeds. It says five shekels for some seeds. That's $150. For seeds. Seeds and, and donkey heads. It gets worse. A few verses later, this woman comes and cries out to the king of Israel, says, Give me justice, O king. He says, What can I do for you? She says, Well, me and my neighbor were hungry. She had a son. I had a son. Both of us baby boys. She said, Let's boil your son and eat him today. And then tomorrow we'll boil my son and eat him. So I boiled my baby and we ate him. The next day I said, Bring out your baby so we can eat him. And she hid him. Give me justice, king. The king tore his robes. Says we're in an economy in which we're even eating our children. That is, we don't care what today's decisions, how today's decisions are affecting even the next generation of our children. Our children are being eaten up by this economy. Our children, remember, in the days of Hezekiah, God spoke to Hezekiah, and he says, I'm going to bring all of this calamity on you, and your descendants are going to be carried away into exile into Babylon because of what you've done, but you're going to die in peace. And he said, oh, that's good. At least it's not going to happen in my generation. He knew God was, he should have cried. When God said, you're going to die, he cried out, oh, Lord, forgive me, have mercy, remember my faith. He cried out, but when God said, your children are going to be carried off into bondage, he said, oh, well, it ain't me. At least I'm cool. At least there will be peace in my lifetime. That's what he said. You look at what's going on in the world. It's because of the economy. And I'm not talking about the monetary economy system. I'm talking about the spiritual economy. 
the king blamed the whole thing on the prophet. When he heard what the woman said about eating her kids, she said, May God do to me ever more severely if the head of Elijah stays on his shoulders today. He says, let's kill the prophet. You know when stuff goes wrong, folks always blame the people of God. Do you know that Rome, the city of Rome, the Roman Empire, it fell in 410 A.D. to a bunch of barbarians in Alaric's attack in 410 A.D.? And you know who got blamed for it? Christianity. They said, well, because Rome converted to Christianity in the, in the, the mid-300s. Matter of fact, in 390 A.D., Christianity became the state religion of Rome. <clears throat> Twenty years later, in 410 A.D., Rome fell to Alaric's attack. Hmm. We became Christians and everything fell apart. It's Christianity's fault. I hear people say that all the time. Ever since I came to Christ, everything's gone wrong in my life. Everything's supposed to be fixed in my life when I come to Christ, right? Because that's what being a Christian is all about. You know, being a Christian is like playing your country, your country music backwards. You get your dog back, your woman back, your house back, your truck back. <laughs> he sends a messenger ahead of him to Elijah's house to kill him. And when he walks in the door, this is what Elijah says. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says. About this time tomorrow, a sea of flour will sell for a shekel. Today, a donkey's head is selling for 80 shekels. $960. Tomorrow, a sea of flour will sell for a shekel. And one shekel is about two-fifths of an ounce. It's about 40% of an ounce. So a shekel is like $12. Today you pay $1,000 and you get a donkey's head. Tomorrow for $12 you can get, how much is a C? It's here in my margin here. A lot. Seven quarts. Seven quarts of flour tomorrow. Meaning you can make all kinds of bread tomorrow for a few dollars. Today, $1,000 will get you an unclean donkey's head. And he says, and two seas of barley will sell for a shekel. There's going to be a shift in the economy tomorrow at about this time. And the messenger of the king said, even if the Lord were to open the windows of heaven, it couldn't be. The problem is the people of God have been so enmeshed in the spirit of famine that we don't even believe it when God starts talking about shifting the atmosphere. You start talking to people about revival, they'll say, don't talk to me about revival. I've been hearing about revival for decades, and I haven't seen no revival yet. You, you talk about whole cities turning to Christ. I've been hearing about that since I was a little kid, and I'm yet to see any city turn to Christ. You talk about whole regions coming to... You're talking about the spiritual economy shifting over a whole region... I don't believe it. I've been hearing it, but I don't believe it. And Elijah says to the man, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you won't eat any of it. Why? Because you don't believe it. It'll be to you according to your faith. He says God is going to shift the economy so that instead of unclean things selling for large portions of money, large quantities of money, clean things are going to sell for cheap. The things that you so long for, the things that you really long for, are going to be easy to acquire. God has been speaking to me about a shift in the economy, and what God is saying is that, listen, there's a hunger. In, what I've been sensing all week long is that in the hearts of the people of God, and especially in this house, there's a hunger and thirst for the deeper things of God, but at the same time there's a sense of discouragement because of the spiritual economy over this region. You feel like you've prayed for things that you haven't been able to lay hold of. You feel like you've reached for things that you haven't been able to acquire, things that you haven't been able to possess, things that you know that God wants for you, but they feel just outside of your grasp, outside of your reach. And you've been reaching and reaching and reaching for so long that you've just begun to, to calm yourself and to soothe yourself by saying, maybe it'll never happen. And the word of the Lord to you is that God's getting ready to shift the economy. God's getting ready to shift the economy, but you've got to begin to believe. You, got, you think you need to pray all day and all night and all day and all night to get one miracle. God says one prayer is going to make miracles happen. The, the economy's going to shift. You're going to see miracles in Safeway, in Walmart, 
You think you only feel the presence of God? The presence of God's going to break out at the bus stop. The spiritual economy is getting ready to shift. You're going to take it with you. The anointing is going to come strong, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to flow freely. It's going to be easy. You think it's real hard to get somebody saved, right? When was the last time you called one of your buddies and led them to Christ over the phone? You know what? You're going to lead people to Christ on the street, at Walmart, in the store. You're going to see it happen because there's about to be a shift in the economy over this entire region. Are you hearing me today? Now watch how it happened. You know, a lot of times we're waiting for something to happen that's already happened. In verse 3 of chapter 7, it tells us that there were four men, and they had leprosy, meaning that they had to live outside of the community. So they lived just outside of the city, but they couldn't go very far outside of the city because the Aramean army was there, so they kind of hid in the walls of the city. They couldn't go in the city because they had leprosy, and they were contagious. They couldn't go out of the city because the Arameans were there, and they would kill them. So they were kind of stuck in between what we might call the heck of fake Christians. You know, the ones with one foot in the city and one foot outside of the city who want to live on the wall of the city, who aren't sure whether they want to come in or go out. I'm not talking about, you know, the sold out on fire for Christ people. They're living inside the city. But the problem with folks that live inside the city is sometimes they're too afraid to go out and face the enemy. Say, well, I've been saved 37 years. Yeah, and you haven't done anything since. (laughs) you just stayed inside the city and what happens is our churches we get so inner city minded we just build a wall around the church and we come in and we say oh lord thank you that even though everything's going on outside you're preserving us thank you that you've watched over us thus far we hear about all of the murders going on outside of the house and the divorce rate is getting higher and poverty is increasing. We're just, just thank you for helping us hold on till the coming of the Lord. Sometimes those newly saved people who just got saved don't know anything. <laughs> sometimes they're the ones who spark revival. And sometimes they're completely out of order. And God still uses them even though they're completely out of order, because even though they don't know anything, they don't know enough to doubt either. Sometimes we know so much that we know ourselves right into the place of apathy, unbelief, and fear. But we're mature believers. (laughs) We're so mature, we've lost our fire, we've lost our boldness. You know, I remember remember when I first really got on fire for God when I was a, a freshman in Bible college. And I mean, I'm talking about I was on fire for God. You know, I heard somebody died, tragically was killed, and were at the morgue. I went to my professor. I said, let's go to the morgue right now. He said, what are you talking about? I said, we're going to the morgue. Why are we going to the morgue? I said, I'm going to raise that woman from the dead right now. He goes, Benjamin, she's been dead three days. I said, I don't care. Lazarus was dead for four. I said, no, my God is going to raise that woman from the dead right now. He's like, Benjamin, they already took out her vital organs. I mean, they... They did, the, they did the, the, the autopsy already. They've taken out her, her heart, her you know, brains, all of it. I mean, they've removed it. I said, I don't care. God can put all that stuff back in. I mean, I was absolutely positive. All I got to do is lay hands on her. She's coming back. Now, looking back on it, I said, well, that's foolish. And he calmed me down and says, Benjamin, you know, I know God can raise the dead, but number one, they're not even going to let us in there. But my whole frame of reference was, God raises the dead, I'm going to reach for it. I don't care. I don't care how dumb I look. I don't care if it's out of order. I don't care if it's wrong. I'm coming to my professor thinking, he's down, right? Let's do it. I was the kind of believer that laid hands on bent lampposts straightened in Jesus' name. Name of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Watch this. There are four lepers, and they're living outside the city. They can't come in because they're sick. And their sickness might spread to other members of the community. I don't want to touch nobody with what I got. And they're sitting there just kind of waiting to die. And one of them says, you know what? If we stay here, we die. If we go into the city, the famine is there and we die. If we go into the enemy's camp, they'll probably kill us. 
But you know what? There's food there. And at least if they kill us, I want to be as close to food as I can possibly be. I mean, if when they're stabbing me, I can just smell the barbecue, that'll be better than starving to death over here with nothing. At least let's take our chances in the enemy's camp. Now, what nobody in Israel knew is that God had already dealt with the enemy. He already caused them to flee. He already caused them to attack one another. They left all of their belongings, all of their food, all of their merchandise. I mean, he had already dealt with the enemy. See, half the time you think you've got to fight the enemy, God's fighting the enemy for you already. Half the time you're waiting for victory, the enemy's camp has already been deserted. It's waiting for you to plunder it, but you're too busy being safe inside the city waiting to die. But these four lepers had nothing to lose. And here's the thing I love about the lepers. They knew they had options. The healthy people inside the city, they thought they had no options. Whenever you come to a place in life where you feel like you have no options, you've been deceived. If you feel like, I'm just stuck. There's nothing I can do. I'm just stuck. That is the voice of unbelief. I'm, I'm stuck behind a rock and a hard place. The people of God are never stuck. All things are possible to him who believes. The people inside the city who were not struck with this leprosy, they thought they had no options. Sometimes you have to get desperate before you recognize that you actually have options. They said, well, looks to me like we have three options. We can stay here. We can go inside the city. Excuse me. I guess there's some demons that just had to go out. That <laughs> or we can go into the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from us. If what God has for us is in the enemy's camp, we're not staying in the city. Now, if what God has for us is in the city, we're staying in the city. But if what God has for us is in the enemy's camp, we're not staying in the city no more. I just believe that it's time to invade the enemy's camp. So these four lepers, they ventured out unafraid to die. They had come to a place where they weren't afraid to die anymore. So many of us are locked out of what God has for us because we're still afraid to die. And when they went into the enemy's camp, they found it deserted. You know, I, I, was, I was thinking about this when I was reading Nehemiah. And it talks about Sanballat and Tobiah. We talked about that. And Sanballat and Tobiah didn't do anything but threaten. I mean, and, and Israel's on high alert. You know, they're carrying swords in one hand, and they work, they're working with the other hand, and then they got shifts of people watching while the others are working, and they're standing with swords and spears, and they're, you know, be strong. And Nehemiah's speaking the same, be strong, be strong, be strong. But at the end of it, you look back on it and say, Sanballat and Tobiah weren't doing nothing but talking. They actually never attacked. And what did they kept doing? They kept saying, we're going to attack you. We're going to take you out. We're going to attack you. We're going to kill you. You know, the enemy doesn't do nothing but talk. He's constantly talking to you. I'm going to destroy your family. I'm going to destroy your finances. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to take you out of the game. I'm going to mess up the call of God on your life. I'm going to, 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 I'm going to. And he's got you on high alert. Fearing, thinking, believing him. At the end of the day, they never attacked and it was the same thing here. This army surrounds Israel, but never attacks. God won't let them attack. Remember, he said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that rises up in judgment against you, you will refute. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is of me, says the Lord. Your vindication is of the Lord. That means no weapon formed against you will prosper. Remember, he said to Joshua, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Oh, they may think they can, but they can't. He said, I'll give you every place the soles of your feet touch. You can't be defeated. And that's why David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? For when my enemies come upon me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumble and fell. Ha! He says, let them come. Let them come. Let them come. They're going to stumble and fall. He says, though an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. 
The war rises up against me, and this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he'll hide me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he will hide me. He'll set my foot upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. You know what? In the time of war, when you look out and see the army encamped against you, that's not the time to cry. That's not the time to panic. That's the time to sing praises to the Lord. That's the time to bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. Stop fearing and start praising. Do you know so much that we go through in life would be alleviated if we just learned how to live without fear? <laughs> if you just learn to live without fear, you get it. You get. You know, it's funny. I, I have this tendency to think things are a lot worse than they are, especially in relation to my wife. You know, my wife and I sometimes will argue through text messages. But I got into this. I got into this habit of reading through the whole argument later, after it's all done, you know. And we got into a big one a couple months ago, and I was on the golf course. And I'm always mad when we fight when I'm on the golf course because it ruins my game. You know, you got to be relaxed to play golf. And when my wife starts nagging, I start losing strokes. And when I start losing strokes, I get angry. So my wife and I had this back and forth through texting. And so I'm in the cart, I text, and then I swing and hit the ball. Of course it goes, and then I send a text, and I text, and I text. You know, after that whole exchange was over, I went back and I was really angry, you know, I'm thinking, why would she say, and I had in my mind what she said and why I was mad at her. But when I cooled down, I thought, let me read through that one more time to make sure she actually said that. And you know, when I read back through it, I didn't find it. <laughs> the whole thing I was mad at her about, she never really actually said. And I thought, I completely misinterpreted that whole thing and riled myself up. And you know why? One little word, fear. I was scared my wife was thinking this, that, and the other. And because she was thinking this, that, and the other, she was thinking this about me. And I thought, you know what? If I just approached that whole conversation without any fear, I would have had a wonderful golf round. You know what's funny is right before she texted me, I had the best shot of my entire life. On the fourth hole, 87 yards from the hole, out on the fairway, a two-thirds swing with a pitching wedge. It went straight up in the air, landed on the green, bounced once, and rolled in the cup. I was like, man, Tiger Woods would have had trouble hitting that shot. That was a professional shot. I mean, that was, man, that was, I'd never hit a shot like that before. I was excited. Yeah, and then here comes a text message from my wife. Oh, Lord, when I saw her name on the screen, I knew something was wrong. Terror struck my heart just seeing her name. So, matter of fact, as soon as I heard that phone go, bzz, I knew, oh, terror just hit my heart. Something is wrong. Whereas if you just approach the situation without fear, you might make some good decisions. These four lepers, who because they had already lost everything, they're dying anyway, right? We got leprosy. We're going to die. I mean, your limbs are rotting and falling off. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid they're going to cut me, cut me up. I'm already falling apart. What am I afraid of? They're going to kill me? I'm already dead. You know, the most whole people in this story were the lepers. Because they had come to the place where they didn't have to fear anything anymore. Let's just take our chances going into the enemy's camp. Let's just take our chances going after the things that God has for us. I mean, you know, if he's promised us provision, he'll probably give it to us. Let's just take our chances. Let's just go for it. I mean, let's just run for it. If they kill us, they kill us. A lot of people are afraid to go on the mission field because they're afraid something bad's going to happen to them. Might have to sleep somewhere you don't like. You might even get killed. And that's real. Some of the places we go, you can get killed there. I mean, it's... Matter of fact, to me, it's not missions if there's no possibility of getting killed. <laughs> I mean, if they're not going to kill you, why even preach there? 
Why go if there's no possibility of death? I mean, that's what it's all about. If there's no possibility of death, it means the gospel's already broken in there. Oh, I'm not getting no amens on that. <laughs> nah, player, I'm staying right here in Emeryville. Ain't no possibility of death here. Ain't heard of nobody getting martyred for going to church at Living Hope <laughs> in Emeryville. You know, Carl Hargestam have, has had members of his team die, get murdered setting up crusades in Ethiopia. It's funny. When somebody dies for our country, they're a hero. Nobody says, you know what? Disband the army. My cousin died. Everybody says, I want to go join the army too and give my life for my country. When people die for the gospel, what's wrong with those missionaries? They shouldn't have went there. What's wrong with that church? What are they thinking? Do you know that the most glorious thing that could ever happen in your life is you get the opportunity to give your life for Jesus Christ? We don't think that way here. You know why? And that's what keeps us out of the city where all of the spoils are. That's what keeps us from recognizing when God shifts the economy because the economy shifts, but you've got to go into the enemy's camp to get it. Had the four lepers never ventured into the enemy's camp, had they never gone to the dangerous place, they never would have gotten a hold of all of the provisions. God had abundance for the whole city, but somebody had to leave the city to get it. And when the prophet spoke it, all the messenger can think is, well, God would have to open the windows of heaven and rain it down. He had not, there was nothing in his thinking that even thought of the possibility of going to the enemy's camp. He doesn't have to rain it out of the sky. All he's got to do is drive out the enemy. It's right here. I'm saying there's a shift coming in the economy, but you've got to lose everything in order to get it. You've got to lose everything. You know, it's funny. We're so afraid. You know, the biggest fear of Christians in America is rejection. Why don't you preach the gospel on the street? Because somebody might reject me. Why don't you tell your unsaved friends about Jesus? Because they might reject me. The worst thing that could happen to us is rejection. And we're so, I mean, we've got so, and we're, we're, we're doing seminars to help people make it through rejection. We're so rejection conscious. Don't you realize that being rejected for the sake of Christ is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you? Carl Hargistan was telling me about an evangelist that he traveled with in his early days who really taught him a lot. And he says, I was doing a crusade with this evangelist. It was, his ev it was his crusade. Carl said, this guy, he got off the plane, and when we got off the plane together, when we entered the city, the atmosphere in the whole city changed. He said, I mean, the, the, the spiritual atmosphere was stirred up the moment he entered the city. He said, people were running up to our cabs screaming in the demonic. I mean, it was like the demons knew him. The minute he entered the city, people were, ah, you know, screaming, man of God. You know, I mean, it was like everywhere. There was just a, a turmoil in the spirit, like this, this riot stirring up in the spirit wherever this man went. And he said, we're leaving the airport, heading towards the place where we're going, and on the side of the road, there's a lame man who can't walk. He says, stop the cab, and he jumps out and raises the man up and heals him right there, and the man can walk, and then he gets back in the cab and leaves. He said, I've never seen anybody operate this way before. He said, but at the hotel where we were staying, there was this man who was brought there, and he was completely emaciated. Looked like he was at the point of death, like he could die at any minute. His body was riddled with this disease. He couldn't even get out of bed. He could barely speak or make just in tone. And he couldn't eat and he couldn't drink. I mean, he was at the very end of his life. And they begged him, his family begged him, please pray for this man. And he says, this evangelist just ignored them and kept walking. He says, we would go out in the morning and they'd beg him, please come pray for our family member. He'd walk right past him. Come back at the end of the day. Please pray for our family member. He'd walk right past them and ignore them, never even respond to them. About four or five days into the trip, Carl was preaching a morning session, and this evangelist said, you know what, I want to go down to the Muslim site. It's, it's the third holiest Muslim site in the world. And they have this big mosque. He went down there in front of the mosque with his cameraman and started preaching on the camera. Right in front of the mosque. Here we are at the holiest Muslim site in this nation. And God is going to do a marvelous thing here. And people are going to get saved. And he's preaching the gospel. Do you know the Muslims ran out of the city and attacked him? They, he, 
he was spit on by about 30 different people. I mean, spit was flying, stones were flying, they were beating him, they were beating him and spitting on him, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this family grabbed him and pulled him into this compound and locked the door, locked the gate behind him. And he sat down and he started talking to this family, they're all Muslims, he led them all to Christ. And then when it was safe, he left, got in his cab, went back. Carl was just finishing the morning session. Carl said he grabbed me and said, Carl, I've been spat upon for the sake of Christ. I am full of faith. We must go back to the hotel right now. We must go to room eight. Room eight was where that guy was. They jetted back to the hotel. He ran and busted into the room and said, stand on your feet. You are whole. And the man jumped up on his feet, said, go take a shower, sit down and eat. You're completely well. And he left. And the man was completely healed. And then he looked at Carl and he said, you see, Carl, when you have no faith, it's better not to pray. You know where he got the faith for that miracle? From going into the enemy's camp. I often wonder why we see such great miracles overseas. It's because we left something to go get it. It's because we were willing to leave some stuff behind to go get it. It's because we weren't just staying nicely. in. See, we want God to do the miracles in the city. The provision all happened at, outside of the city, not in the city. You want your miracles? You've got to go outside the city. You've got to be willing to go into the enemy's camp. There is a shift in the atmosphere. There's a shift in the economy. But you've got to be willing to go into the enemy's camp to get it. Are you hearing me this morning? Your miracles are waiting for you out there. Out there. But you've got to believe. These four lepers, they just had to take the chance. And they go into the enemy's camp, and guess what? They're all gone. Oh, man, they start grubbing. They're gr- I mean, there's, I mean, barbecue's still cooking. But nobody manning the grill. Said, shoot, grab me a steak, man. They start eating. There's vegetables. There's pies. Sweet potato pie. Oh, no, I don't like sweet potato Chocolate cream pie? German chocolate cake? Come on, somebody. Pumpkin pie. I can roll with pumpkin pumpkin pie. No cooked fruit, though. (laughs) Then they're putting on new clothes. I mean, the enemy left, and they left their fits. They left all of their clothes. So they're putting on clothes. They're even putting on armor. They left their armor and their swords. And then they said, you know what? If we let this day go by and don't tell the city and let everybody starve to death in there, surely judgment's going to come upon us. We better go into the city and tell everybody to come out of the city. Notice that it wasn't just a few people who go out, into the, out of the city and bring the spoils back into the city. Isn't that the way we do it in the church? We've got a few missionaries who will go out, and then they just come back with the praise reports about what God did. Everybody else just kind of sits in the nice little quiet church and listens to the testimonies. Oh, that's wonderful. These four lepers, they said, no, 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 no. Everybody needs to come out here. Everybody needs to come out. You know, I'm very close to making it a requirement of membership to go on a mission trip. <laughs> it's definitely going to be a requirement of leadership. To be a leader in the house, you guys to go on a mission trip at least one every five years. And I'm talking overseas. I'm not, I mean, Mexico is cool. But that ain't no mission trip. (laughs) That's a good starter. Don't get me wrong, we do real work down there in Mexico. But I'm talking about you got to get on a plane and go somewhere. (laughs) Oh, I see some faces. Some folks are thinking, I got to find me a new church. You know when the economy shifts over your life? You know when you begin to access the presence of God in a way that you never have before? You know when you begin to see the things break through your life that you've never seen before, that you've been longing for? When you get out of the city. If the only place you've experienced the presence of God is in the four walls of the church, you're missing it. And your famine is coming. I see people leave churches because they can't find God there anymore. There's a famine in the city, but the plunder's outside the city. And you don't recognize that God's just waiting for you to go outside the city and get some of your plunder. 
You know, it says in the book of Acts that the Lord was adding daily to the church those who were being saved. You know where they were being saved? Outside of the church, not in it. It doesn't say anything about the apostles doing altar calls every day in the services. The people were leading. What if every Sunday we came to Christ and everyone in the house had a couple people they brought to the Lord during the week? Wouldn't that be powerful? The church would double and triple in size every Sunday. Every week we'd have to get a new building. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You think that scares me? That don't scare me. I ain't scared. That don't scare me at all. That's a great problem to have. My dream is that we would be so busting at the seams we'd need a new... You know, uh, Jackson Sinyanga talked about when his church was actually exploding and growing, and they just made this little makeshift building, and they filled it the first Sunday. The next After, sun, after church on Sunday, they broke down the walls and expanded it. And the next Sunday, they packed it out, had people outside. So after church, they broke down the walls and expanded it. Every Sunday for three months, they broke down the walls and expanded it. He said it was the ugliest building you had ever seen in your life. And by the end of it, you were like, where's the center of this thing? It was big, but every week, it was more than packed out. They went from seven to 7,000 within three months. Within two weeks, they were at 2,000. I mean, it just it blew up. You know what happened? the economy over that nation shifted. Don't tell me it can't happen. It happened in Uganda. The economy of over that entire nation shifted. I want you to know the economy over this entire Bay Area is about to shift. It's about to shift. Instead of spending high money, big money, on unclean things, there's going to be an abundance of bread. The question is, are you willing to go outside the city and get it. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, I speak your blessing over this house right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless your people with peace. I bless your people with understanding. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I light a fire under each heart. A passionate desire to get out of the city. Father, strengthen and encourage. Lord, some of us have been in the city for so long, we don't even know what it looks like to get out of it. Some of us, we've become prisoners of the city. We've desired safety more than we've desired abundance. But God, we've become so safety conscious... We feared rejection so much to the point where our own safety has become more important than the salvation of our cities. But God, I pray today in the name of Jesus that you'd open our hearts, open our minds, open our understanding to begin to believe that the economy is shifting. The economy and the spirit is shifting. That which was once expensive will be cast out. And that which was once unavailable will be abundantly available. People will no longer spend high dollar on unclean things. I thank you, Father, that there's about to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will dwarf every move of the Spirit that we've seen in our generation. You're about to open up the floodgates of heaven. And what you will do right here in this Bay Area will cause the eyes of all of the nations to be upon us. And people will come from all over the world to be a part of what you're doing here in this Bay Area. I thank you, Father, that you will make us a covenant for the peoples and a light to the Gentiles to open the eyes of the blind, to unstop the ears of the deaf, I thank you that you're about to shift the economy in this region. And you're inviting us to be a part of it. Lord, if we don't shift our hearts and begin to believe it, we'll see it with our eyes, but we won't eat of it. But God, right now we shift our hearts and minds. 
we shift our hearts and minds out of the poverty mentality. And Lord, there are many here that have a spiritual poverty mentality. We just think we're just spiritually poor. Things that are available to others are not available to me. Father, I remove that lie from every heart and every mind in the name of Jesus Christ. And I say to each one here, you are giants in the kingdom. You are giants in the kingdom. And that all of the blessings of the Spirit are available to you. You say, well, God can't use me. God can use you in mighty ways, powerful ways, to open the eyes of the blind, to open the ears of the deaf. But you've got to begin to believe for more than what you got. I declare to you today that God has more for you than you have seen, more than you know, more than you anticipate, more than you think. But you must begin to believe. You've got to begin to believe. Father, I just curse that wicked spirit of doubt and unbelief in the name of Jesus. That spirit of doubt and unbelief that separates your people, that keeps your pe- that holds your people captive and keeps them from entering into what you have for them. I remove it in Jesus' name. I replace it with great expectation. I replace it with anticipation. There's going to be a revival in the land. I declare it. There will be revival in this Bay Area. I declare it in Jesus' name. Even now the heavens are opening. Even now the clouds are gathering. Even now, even now, even now, even now, the heavens are about to drop rain at the presence of the Lord. And it's going to oversweep the churches. And it's going to be greater than what he does in the churches. It's going to happen in the streets. It's going to happen in the marketplaces. It's going to happen in the workplaces. It's going to happen in the schools. The school systems that said God is not allowed. The Lord says, I am about to enter in and no man can keep me out. No law can keep me out. I am coming, declares the Lord, and my reward is with me. The economy is shifting. It is shifting. It is shifting over this whole region. Hallelujah. Come on, stand up on your feet and just lay hold of it in the spirit. There's a shift. There's a shift in the atmosphere.